Howdy there, partner. It's your boy, EJ. And it's your girl, Melinda. And what time is it? It's time for Dusty Pages. Welcome back to Dusty Pages, the show where we take a look at the books. <laughs> take a look at the books. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have a new book this time. Well, we have a new book every time, but this this time is no different. <laughs> <laughs> this one's not new. Yes, it's not new. It's old. Because the podcast is about old books, yeah. not new ones. Not new ones, old ones. And also, I've noticed we've been doing a lot of nonfiction, which I guess is kind of our forte, right? Mm. Like, most of our books are nonfiction. We're not huge fiction readers, are we? No, I guess not. And that doesn't make for... For a good po- book podcast, does it? I guess it... Hmm. Book readers like fiction, usually. They do. <laughs> I never one of them book book learners. Yeah, we're not one of them book learners. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. We just have a lot of nonfiction, so uh, you know, buckle up for nonfiction because it's gonna be it's gonna be a long ride. Maybe we'll do fiction. We'll do it at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, but it have to be a picture book or something easy for me because <laughs> um, I don't like the that Dostoevsky. <laughs> well, no, I promise you, we'll never do that. <laughs> I can't say it. Mm. <laughs> Dostoevsky. I don't think that's right. Dostoevsky. All right. Okay. So our book this time is, it's called How to Charm with Color. And it's, it's a, I'm saying, calling it a, I say it's a book, but it's actually a little bit more of like a, like a pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a, like a book with chapters and stuff, but it's pretty small. And it's one of those paperbacks that's like, it's small enough to just be held together with like staples. <laughs> <laughs> on the side and it's also um like we said pretty old so it's kind of falling apart the cover's kind of falling apart um so we'll have to try to be ginger with it when mm-hmm. we it's flip an the cover it's an antique for sure and it's cute right it's got that kind of like mid-century or maybe before mid-century color scheme of like mid <laughs> mid blue and white uh-huh. <laughs> It's very blue and white. It's very blue and white. And, um, um, well, now it's know, like, like blue and blue and yellowed. Yes, true. It's like a like a cream. Um, and it's about the size of like a postage postcard. Oh no, it's bigger than that. It's like a, the size of a birthday card. Birthday card, yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday! I got this for you for your birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. So yeah, it says how to charm with color. At the bottom, there's like a little sticker and some like. What do you call those? Like wax pencil oh, marks yeah. that says B-5 S-16. What does that mean? No idea. This isn't somebody's, like, I don't know, someone's library or something. It's like someone died and that's their the clue to find the killer. <laughs> right. It's like B equals 5, S equals 16. Now you have to find all the 5s and oh, 16s no. in the book. <laughs> well, hopefully someone's already done that for us. Yeah. I'm not gonna. We'll, um, pay, we'll pay attention. Up at the top, there's like a stamp. Yeah, uh, there's a little stamp. A little, like purple um, stamp. Like, yeah. For <laughs> that you would stamp. <laughs> for, <laughs> like to mark your property, uh-huh. right? And it says um, Chapel of Sunlight. I think that's it. Chapel of Sunlight. So I guess this is a church book. I guess. Or or something. Or something. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't seem very churchy to me. But yeah charming people maybe it was the maybe it was like one of the reading materials in the waiting room of the church right right you know they put you in the waiting room waiting to get baptized yeah or you're waiting for your bris i don't know do they do that at a church (laughs) whatever they do at the chapel of sunlight 
Um, you would think it. Oh, okay. So you would think sunlight was like like from the sun, but it's not. It's sun s o n. I would think sunlight. it's like bud is that light. A, is that a pun? Chapel of Bud Light. That's the chapel I want to go to. Hey, hey. it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Um, And then on the back cover is the contents, which is, you know, unorthodox. Uh, But I'll just read these out so we get a a good feel for what this book is about. Because um, EJ kept asking me, what is this book about? (laughs) How to charm with color? What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Uh, So contents. um, The effect of colors on other living things. The right colors and general well-being. Linkage of the senses, odors, and touch. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> the right colors for proper digestion. Oh. oh. Useful. Increasing efficiency with colors. The color psychology of clothes. I'm excited for that one. The effects of color on the mind. The healing effects of colors and colors for enjoyment. Mm. That's nice. I love enjoyment. <laughs> so far, you know, there's some characters in A Mighty Wind or something and they're, they're, witch, they're color witches and they like go to the store oh. and they pick clothes out based on the color because it gives off like energy mm, mm-hmm. the different colors this is what this sounds like yeah it's definitely like pseudoscience or something but um hey you know what we're, we're all here to have a good time aren't we it's all right i certainly am into the first page here we again another stamp from the chapel of sunlight they, they wanted to make sure this everyone yeah. knew this book was theirs they wanted to make sure front cover inside cover you know chapel of sunlight then here there's a subtitle, How to Charm with Color, The Influence of Colors on Health and Personality. That really clears things it up. It does. It's also by Edward Podolsky. Dostoevsky. <laughs> MD. So, you know, a medical doctor. Medical doctor. <laughs> uh, doesn't really mean anything, but that's fine. <laughs> they teach color, color theory in uh, Johns Hopkins. In, uh, <laughs> medical school now? Well, not now, because the copyright on here is 1943. That's before I was born. That's true. That's before Hitler died. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is mid-war, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you think Hitler read this book? He could have. I, I, I <laughs> doubt it. You know what? The Nazis were not known for charming with color, were they? That's true. <laughs> in their, They in were their... specifically anti-color, right. now that I remember it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so then we got, like, the contents again. <laughs> we'll skip that. We got a little quote to start us off. Coloring, if properly adapted, lends its aid with powerful effect in just discrimination and forcible expression of them. It heightens joy, warms love, inflames anger, (laughs) deepens Mm. sadness, and adds coldness to the cheek of death itself by Opie. That's a little dramatic. (laughs) All right, Opie. Come on now. In just discrimination and forcible expression of them. Of them what? Of them. What's them? You know, they. They don't want you to be reading this book. This is color cures they don't want you to know about. One cool trick that saved my colors. Mm. Chapter one, the right colors and general well-being. We are constantly affected by the colors of our surroundings. The right color combinations in our homes, offices, shops, travel accommodations, and hospitals are exceedingly important, both for health and efficiency. Injudicious color combinations are not only in bad taste, they also work havoc with our well-being. It's quite a claim. First of all, work havoc. (laughs) I haven't heard that phrase. They work havoc with our well-being. There are, like, kind of strange phrasing here. Injudicious color combinations. Oh, that color combination. <laughs> so unjust. <laughs> There's a little story 
about a doctor at New York University reporting several cases of mental irritation caused by harmful color combinations. He relates the case of a woman who was nervous, fretful, and complained of ill health generally. An examination by the family doctor revealed nothing organically amiss. It was noticed, however, that on her visits away from home, she improved. This gave the doctor a clue. Mm. And he sent this woman and her daughter on an extended trip to Europe. The daughter wrote back saying that her mother's mental condition and health had improved notably. I mean, yeah. I I mean, a vacation to Europe, (laughs) you'd stop being sad for a little bit. The doctor called an interior decorator and the two made an inspection of his patient's home. Wait a second. (laughs) They went on vacation and he just like (laughs) redecorated her home. This is a TLC show. (laughs) The decorator was at once struck by the violent display of colors in this patient's bedroom. Mm. It was a disturbing combination of deep violet and purple colors, which have a very exciting effect. Those are like my favorite colors. I know, I like them. I want to live there. Lighter colors were substituted, calming greens and yellows. When the patient returned home from her European trip, those black moods never returned again. There is no doubt that living in a room of such violent display of irritating colors had a great deal to do with upsetting her emotionally and mentally. Mina, our whole bedroom is full of violent and irritating (laughs) colors. Is that what caused my depression? Oh. Is it all this purple and blue and lovely colors? The deep violets. Oof, I'm sorry, EJ. Well, we'll have to redecorate in green and yellow again. Better tell my therapist that we figured it out. <laughs> we'll need her anymore. Hmm. There are a lot of like little stories in here. Like this is telling you. He's just giving suggestions. Um, in a factory, he's saying the shop machinery should be painted a bright red or scarlet. This becomes effective when they carry a narrow stripe of bright yellow along the center of the red, like to get people excited about working there. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've had some pretty terrible jobs, and I gotta say, some of I don't. The color wasn't usually one of the major contributing factors to the right. to the misery of the job. Well, he's saying that it was, and you just didn't know. Okay, that's a good <laughs> you point. You just didn't notice it. All right, chapter two: the right colors for proper digestion. Now. Sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but the contents on the back, I feel like, put this at, like, number four, Mm -hmm. but it's chapter two. The contents were lying. (laughs) Um, Or, right before this got published, like, all the covers had been printed already, the editor just had to rearrange this to make it flow better. It did not work with the colors for proper digestion in the middle (laughs) of the book. You had to get that information straight away. Yeah, they were like, this is the the money part. Like, people want to read this first. People are going to read this. They're not going (laughs) to care about the rest of the book. Which, actually, then maybe they should have put it in the middle so people would keep reading. Mm. Whatever. I'm not not a color editor. I'm not a color book editor. I don't know. (laughs) There's a lot of, like anecdotes i have to say i was looking for like um some type of medical information but these are all just like stories about how color affected people's lives which i'm also kind of into let's see um not so long ago a most interesting dinner was given by mr samuel g hibben an illumination engineer and authority on light and colors at this dinner food and drink were the best that money could buy there was gay music and storytelling, but the dinner was far That's from... the best kind of music and storytelling. <laughs> but the dinner was far from enjoyable, and the reason was this. Mr. Hibben had arranged special lighting for the evening. Instead of ordinary clear or frosted lamp bulbs, he substituted especially designed filter lamps, which cut out all of the ordinary spectrum of colors except for greens and reds. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
When the guests strolled in leisurely, they were a laughing, hearty lot. <laughs> but as soon as they were in the dining room, they began to notice things, queer things. Steaks. That's the best kind of things. <laughs> Steaks were whitish gray. Celery was gaudy pink. Milk had the unwholesome color of blood. <laughs> and the salads were as blue as the sky. Lemons had the color of oranges, and the coffee had a pale, sickly yellow tinge. Fresh green peas looked like black caviar, and the peanuts were a brilliant scarlet. The food and cooking were of the best. Really? Because it sounds like they had, like, peas and peanuts. And lemons. And milk. And milk and lemons <laughs> and peanuts. What a great dinner. <laughs> The food and cooking were of the best, but the broken spectrum lights. Why you don't like my lemon, my lemon peanut souffle? Why you don't? You come to my house, you make fun of my how I make my lemons. You don't want my celery steak. You don't want. My, <laughs> you don't want. You don't want my. You don't. What is it? <laughs> Just like steak, celery, milk, salad, lemon peas, coffee, and peanuts. You don't want my steak coffee. But the broken spectrum lights imparted strange and unusual colors to the food. Most of the guests lost their appetites and could not eat. A few hardier, hardier souls did eat some of the weirdly tinted foods. They became violently ill, although the food was good and the taste perfect. Mr. Hibbins' unusual experiment was a complete success. <laughs> <laughs> this was his dream dinner party. <laughs> I can't wait to make my guests violently ill. I can't wait Ill. to ruin my lovely night with my friends <laughs> oh my gosh but again this is all like anecdotes isn't it like mr hibben claimed this was perfect evidence that colors make people ill i don't know <laughs> i bet everyone just had a fine time and they were like hey why are the lights weird all right whatever <laughs> and then the next day mr hibbins was like oh i have to tell you about this great experiment i did everyone was violently ill no one could eat a thing the what lemon is? peanuts were delicious <laughs> lemon peanuts he poisoned the food <sighs> to sway the experiment that's dedication to the craft <laughs> so this is like um what the colors in like restaurants should be to heighten the effect of good food, there should be suggestions of roast beef red in the motif of the designs. Light orange, yellow, the color of butter and green suggesting cool lettuce will further help impart the suggestion that the food is good, wholesome, and tasty. That's me. In such a color scheme, the tablecloth should be pure white to serve as a contrast with the browns, greens, reds, and yellows of the food served. Mm. Tableware should be of a light blue color. All right, that sounds That sounds fine. Gaudy. I'd go to that restaurant. Oh, I think it sounds gaudy. <laughs> I think it sounds nice. It's like primary colors and then light blue. That's where I get all my food from those kinds of restaurants. Mm. If I go to a restaurant and they don't have exclusively primary colors, I turn around. <laughs> You want to feel like you're in a... A, a daycare. Right. <laughs> like you're in a building made of Legos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Chapter 3. Increasing efficiency with colors. Now we're talking. This will teach us how to be better workers. The right color combination goes a long way in increasing mental and physical efficiency. It is now a very definitely established fact that certain <laughs> tasks can be accomplished faster and more expertly under certain color conditions than others. By All taking right. color preferences into consideration, the effectiveness of sales campaigns may be increased. It's a proven fact. It's a definite proven fact. Uh, but Based on no evidence. They're not going to tell you the evidence, but believe me, <laughs> it is real. Dr. Fear 
Fear? Fear? F-E-R-E. Dr. Okay. Ferre. <laughs> I'll call him Dr. Fear. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Fear, studying the effects of colored light upon muscular activity, found that in ordinary light, the muscular activity to be 23 units. 23 units of what? <laughs> of muscular activity. Okay. It increased the 24 units for blue. It increased, I think that's supposed to be an increase two. It increased two 24 units of blue okay. to 28 for green, to 30 for yellow, to 35 for orange, and to 42 for red. Wow. 42 muscular units. Wow. 42 whole muscular units? That's what it says. No decimals? This was says. <laughs> the colors in the red-purple section of the spectrum are not only warming, they are distinctly energizing. What is this? I don't understand what this means. <laughs> like, muscular activity of what? Like, they had people work out and look at colors? Or, like, what, what does that mean? Well, just before that, it talks about how... Uh, it's a well-known fact that flowers grown under blue glass greatly increase in size and vitality. So flowers grow well in blue, but muscular activity is better in red. Hmm. Therefore, more research is needed. <laughs> it seems like that's the answer, yeah. Dr. Pressy found that after submitting, submitting a person to a given color for five minutes, oh, it he does could, say submitting. It's a, it? Yeah, <laughs> there's a typo in this book. Listen, the editor was spending all their time swapping around the chapters. <laughs> now they were spending all their time trying to fact check these claims <laughs> and just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pressy found that after submitting a person to a given color for five minutes, he could detect differences in the effects of the various colors upon tapping activity, memory, mental work, etc. He found subjects with pronounced intolerance for certain colors. The mental process of one person was found to take 20% more time under the influence of one color than another. He also found that the memory work of another person might show a marked improvement under a certain colored light. Thus, tapping activity was more uniform with green light, slower with blue light, and decidedly quicker under red light. Tapping. Is that like typing? Right. What is thus tapping activity? Arithmetical activity, for instance, was strongly improved under red light, as was to be expected. Oh, of course, right. So did he have them like tap, like I, on a table or something? That might be like an archaic. I don't know. Right. That might be like just a way of saying strenuous. Okay. I don't know. But otherwise, I don't know what it could mean. The use of color in the right places will go a long way in easing the performance of various tasks. A series of exhaustive tests in the Channel Islands off the English coast have proved that a concrete road colored dull orange or marigold has at least 40% less sun and headlamp glare than an ordinary white road. An ordinary white, white road? road? I guess if it's concrete, it might be like gray. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, it has also been found that accident per mile on colored roads are fewer. At night, pedestrians stand out more clearly on a colored road than one that is neutral. Wouldn't they stand out most clearly on a black on a... road? <laughs> <laughs> it has also been found that a colored road can be followed much more easily without the necessity of looking for signs and markers. The cost of coloring roads is very small, and when it is realized that a little color in our highways will go a long way in reducing the number of accidents on them, the cost is more than justified color the highways that's the new campaign that they're doing you know <laughs> gotta get out there and color that. the highways <laughs> like they would go and paint the highway that doesn't make any sense <laughs> what is this book talking about well listen it's a proven fact that when you paint the highway <laughs> there's fewer car crashes 
Because people don't drive on a Nobody red talks road. about that. Nobody talks about it because it's not part of the agenda. <laughs> the agenda. <laughs> These are a lot of anecdotes. Every uh, every paragraph is a new anecdote. Yeah. With no, um, no sources. Right. It's just, well, Dr. Mellencamp did this and it worked, so... So there you go. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Chapter four. The effects of colors on the mind. During the World War, we learned... Oh, right. They didn't mm. know they were in the second one. Uh, oops. <laughs> Whoops. During the World War, we learned a great many things of which we had a vague conception before. We learned that the health of body and mind is dependent very largely upon the proper stimuli. We began to appreciate that nature had certain healing forces whose effects were even more remar remarkable than we had ever suspected. We learned that music and color had pronounced effects on minds gone crazy and nerves shattered. This part is kind of like marked out in pencil as like important. So I'm going to read this paragraph and it better be important. Okay. Or else we can't trust this previous owner. <laughs> The greatest number of impressions are received through the eyes. Subconsciously, our emotions are affected by colors, music, and odors. Of these, colors seem to enter most subtly into the chemistry of our thoughts and emotions. Colors of the right kind and in the proper combinations exert a most profound influence on the brain and nervous system. All right, that was a pretty good paragraph. That was all right, but I, like I didn't see that it was markedly different from the from uh, any of the other paragraphs right. i don't know why it was worth pointing <laughs> i guess out, it's but... kind of like a summary of the whole book probably okay <laughs> so they're talking about color treatment for shell shock using artificial light with orange electric bulbs within a month he had so visibly improved that all signs of nervous irritability had gone hey, well that's good i guess <laughs> <laughs> Assuming that that's true. Red, for instance, is the most stimulating color. We've been over this now uh -huh, uh -huh. a couple times. We know it. Scarlet rooms for lazy boys have been that's tried me. with great success. What do they mean, lazy boys? Like chairs? <laughs> oh. No, like like boys. <laughs> like me. Yeah, like you. Okay. So like if, you're, if your son uh, doesn't want to clean his room or do the dishes... All he does is play that damn Nintendo. Right. In 1943. Just got to color his room scarlet. Uh, and then he'll want to move out. There is the case of a young woman who was subjected to very severe periods of melancholia. When this patient felt a fit of depression coming on, she went into the red room. Red room. That's spooky. Don't say that. <laughs> and turned on the lights, which came from red colored bulbs. <laughs> that's so, the, it's so that's spooky. the scariest thing I've ever heard of. The melancholia was effectively dispersed. Yeah, it was displaced by uh, <laughs> dread, by terror. By just sheer terror. <laughs> she then passed into a room the color scheme of which was carried out in yellow and gold, a combination producing a mild stimulation. This brought her back to her normal state of mind. So you go into the red room, you get scared out of your mind, mm -hmm. and then you go to the yellow room and you're like, oh, okay. Okay, this, this is, is nice. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Seems effective to me. It is crazy how many just anecdotes are in here. It's like every other paragraph, Dr. Zeller did something. Dr. Porus did something. And it seems like these are like very, like, it seems like these are experiments done on one person. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's, that's proven it. They hadn't, they hadn't really figured out science in the 40s. Right. They hadn't figured out the, the, the methods. Uh... <laughs> Colors have very real effects on the mind. They act very much in the same manner as do drugs. They may be stimulating or calming. Thus, an insane asylum in Illinois uses red to stimulate cases of melancholia. All right, we get it. 
Blue has definitely good results on neurotics. Those whose nerves have been shattered will often find comfort in a room decorated with gaudy checks and stripes of color. I do love really gaudy, <laughs> disgusting rooms. <laughs> For your shattered nerves. Uh -huh. Yeah, makes sense. Green is better liked by males and red by females. All right, well, I don't know about that. I don't like red at all. I do like green. Green is good. Yeah, I like green too. You're wearing your green shirt. <gasps> I am. Green and blue. What does that mean? I'm a boy? <laughs> yeah. Sorry <laughs> about it. I guess I'm a boy. This book said. Black is a color not necessarily depressing and is useful <laughs> for toning strong colors. It should therefore always be used in combinations. Alone, it is not quite cheering. White is a cheering color, which attracts sunlight, but if used alone, is cold. What? <laughs> <laughs> this is just like telling you wh what each color okay. is. Cardinal red is of value in extreme cases of mental depression. It is. How many times are they going to see that? Gonna, they, this is the takeaway I've gotten so far is that red is... Red there, cures depression. There should be no other colors. You don't need any others. Uh, it has definite stimulating properties not only on the mind but on other functions of the body. It has been used in the rooms of indolent children and by athletes about to run a race. Rose color is a mental... Recuperative. Recuperative. Yellow will stimulate without exciting, and in conjunction with violet, is beneficial in cases of depression. I thought violet was one of the causes. Right, I of thought depression. violet caused. I thought that it was one a violent depression. color. <laughs> uh, one color being the complement of the other. Well, how about that? Purple and mauve are sedative and soothing and productive of sleep. They concentrate and are very useful in cases of mental instability. See, like that. The other lady didn't like purple. All right. Well, these are all anecdotes. So I guess you can't trust any of them. Oh, we've got a little note here. <laughs> okay, so I can't tell what... Like a previous previous reader of this book, or maybe owner of this book, highlighted a few things in here. And then they wrote, Thinking has conditioned the mind. Thinking has conditioned the mind. That's pretty deep. I think deep. They, maybe they're referring to this... Um, Mental prejudice is a very important factor in color preference and the emotional qualities it evokes. Color prejudice is very closely bound up with racial and national characteristics. Uh, now, uh -oh. don't we always find something racist or what? It's usually not this early. <laughs> a Chinaman, for instance, Oof. will not react to the same color combinations as will an American. A large oil company with filling stations in China painted them white. Business fell off considerably. White is the color of mourning in China. It may suggest purity and cheerfulness to an American, but to a Chinaman, really. <laughs> White suggests death and sorrow. It cannot be used to cheer him up because of its emotional associations. Yellow would be more successful, for it is the royal color of China. Similarly, yellow is the marriage color of India, and for the Hindu, it has pleasant associations. In Japan, red is never popular and always evokes distress because it is the symbolic <laughs> color of fire and destruction. What? Is Isn't it red on their on flag? Their flag? <laughs> Isn't their flag white and red? All right. Okay. And then the, the person highlighted, these deeply ingrained prejudices must always be taken into consideration when planning the color treatment of mental and emotional disease. Ah, thinking has conditioned the mind. <laughs> All right. Chapter... Five, mood conditioning with colors. Colors influence moods. That's the first sentence. All right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, certain colors evoke specific emotional reactions. Green suggests grass. <laughs> okay. Blue is symbol- symbolic for sky. White is synony- synonymous with purity. Red is the color of fire and passion. Our language is sprinkled with color mood expressions. We feel blue. We are green with envy. We wake up with a dark brown taste. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) You know that old saying. I woke up with a dark brown taste today. (laughs) Must be all that poop you eat? I don't know. What does (laughs) that mean? What is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Like, you drink some coffee? (laughs) Okay. Mmm, brown Mm, taste. Brown. Oh, this is fun. With the coming of Technicolor, moving picture directors have become intensely interested in the emotional equivalence of colors. William A. Wellman, who has made several notable color films, back when you had to define that the film Mm -hmm. was color or not, has an interesting theory of color-induced emotions. His theory is behavioristic. It is his belief that colors have become identified with emotion as a result of primitive environmental association. Mr. Wellman has constructed an interesting and informative chart, giving the emotional equivalence of colors. His chart considers eight colors, their chief auxiliary influence, contributing influences, the emotional state evoked, and associated factors. Oh, I hope we have this chart. We do! The Wellman chart of colors and their associated emotions. So, the first color is black. Uh, The source of primitive color bath. What? Uh. So, I guess it's where you would see it in nature is night the chief auxiliary influence is charcoal contributing influences are smoke black rocks emotional state invoked is sleep and unconsciousness prime factor of color is uh, negation negation, i don't know what that means associated factors are gloom and depression okay uh next color is white which comes from fair weather clouds, snow, white sand. It invokes awareness uh, and affirmation, and it makes you uplift, uplifted and zesty. <laughs> Gray uh, comes from rain, fog, stormy seas. It invokes decadence. Uh, prime factor is death, and it's associated with old age. And there's brown. Comes from earth, autumn leaves, and muddy water. Where did like he he lists these um, influences or whatever in order as if like the most common association the most brown is with is with the earth. earth, then autumn leaves, and then muddy water. Don't get it twisted. If you think brown is like coffee, you're wrong. <laughs> I woke up with a brown taste because because I was eating dirt. Because <laughs> hmm. I was eating autumn leaves. Autumn leaves aren't even that brown. Anyways, um, it uh, invokes sorrow and illness, and it's associated with melancholy. Blue is like the sky, the sea, and ice. Its emotional state is thought and infinity. It is associated with spirituality. <laughs> Green uh, comes from leaves, clear water, springtime, plant growth. Yeah, clear water doesn't really uh, I don't know about look green to green. me, bud. Okay. Uh, gives you a sense of well-being and health, and it's associated with abundance. Red is, comes from blood, sunrise, sunset, lips, wounds, red rocks. <laughs> red rocks. That, that's just a that's just the color and then a thing. Right. Like there are green rocks. <laughs> uh, it's associated with combat and life and, and vigor. vigor. Yellow comes from fire, uh, sunlight, large flowers, or clay earth. It invokes comfort and happiness and is associated with warmth and joy. 
I can agree with that one. Sure. I don't know. A lot of these just seem uh, arbitrary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially his, like, factors. Like, the primary emotional state and then a prime factor... It seems like he just picked three words and then just uh -huh, put them together. Uh -huh. Like, oh, these these have to do with this color. But so far, it's at least like the most concrete data we've had <laughs> in this book. Right. Even though it's completely made up, at least there was a chart. <laughs> Again, they're just kind of listing the colors and what they do for us. Seems like they're repeating themselves a lot. Red suggests a vigorous mood. Yellow is represents the heat and fire and the sun. I mean, they've said all this. Chapter six, the color psychology of clothes. I was excited for this one. Wow. Do you think it'll live up to my expectations? Yes. <laughs> Colors and clothes serve several important functions. First, color has a great deal to do with comfort. White and light colors are cooling. They ward off heat as an umbrella does rain. <laughs> okay. You don't really need the umbrella analogy. I know what that means. Um, for this reason, white is the predominant color in the summer and in the tropics. On the other hand, black and dark colors absorb heat and are for this reason popular in the northern countries and during the winter months. This is a principle so well known and so universally appreciated that an extended discussion of it is not necessary. Okay. Well. <laughs> Let's move on. Rest, I mean, they spent 40 pages telling us why red is good. Right. <laughs> Second, the colors of the clothes one wears has as definite an effect on the mind and emotions as the coloring of the house one lives in. A person who habitually affects dark colored clothes is a person of grave mane, overwhelming dignity and gravity. Priests, rabbis, and other ministers habitually wear black. And walk into bars. <laughs> Ew. Okay. That's a documented fact, just like everything else mm -hmm. in this book. <laughs> I have exactly as much evidence as they do. <laughs> this is in keeping with their calling. Black is in keeping with their calling? Okay. The doctor of 50 years ago considered it beneath his dignity to wear anything but black and dark brown suits. Oh. 50 years ago was 1890. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. Similarly, actors, actresses, singers, dancers, and others whose vocations deal with the lighter side of life prefer light grays, tans, reds, and other gay colors. Are light gray and tan gay colors? They're the gayest of the colors. <laughs> like, you go to so... Pride, you know the colors you'll see? Light gray, tan. <laughs> yeah, those are not the ones I would have chosen. Okay. Um, it has been found that the colors of one's attire exert just as profound an effect on the mind as do the colors of one's surroundings. They literally said that like two seconds ago. Therapeutically, gay colors in the clothes of those habitually depressed act as a tonic. Somber hues, on the other hand, act as a sedative for those who are over-exuberant <laughs> and violent. Oh. <laughs> Psychiatrists are now agreed that the manner in which a mental patient is dressed will go quite a way in either helping his mental condition or retarding it. Yeah, are they agreed? Were they ever right. agreed? Was that... Where is the evidence? Yeah. <laughs> there is no evidence. Third. <laughs> As if we're still making a list here. <laughs> Third, the color of the clothes one wears is extremely important as far as the natural coloring of the skin and hair is concerned. A pleasing harmony or a delicate contrast between the color of one's clothes and one's natural coloring plays an important role in efficiency, happiness, and comfort. Efficiency? Like if I wear blue to match my eyes, that'll make me more efficient? Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. It's worth a try, I guess. I know. Give it a shot. You can't say that it's stupid until you try it. 
Uh, Dr. George Ashdown Audsley, what a name, a profound student of colors, particularly of colors in dress, has discovered many interesting facts in connection with color harmony in dress. He classifies human coloring into four types. The fair blonde, the ruddy blonde, the pale brunette, and the florid brunette. Each type calls for special preferences in the coloring of the clothes. Those are the four kinds of people? <laughs> yeah, what good. is it? That's Also, I thought he was going to define... Oh, he does define each of them. Okay. So the pale blonde has skin that is pale with a delicate tinge of pink. The eyes are clear, soft blue, and the hair is light golden in color. Uh, these colors must be taken into consideration when choosing the color of the clothes to be worn. Green gives the skin a richer glow of pink... Orange and deep gold and blue. The ruddy blonde has a fuller coloring to the skin than the pale blonde. Her skin is pinker, her eyes are of a deeper blue color, and her hair is inclined to be browner or redder than the pale blonde. In this type of coloring, deeper tones and less pronounced hues are called for. This is probably me. I'm a ruddy ruddy blonde. blonde, Even though your hair is purple. (laughs) My hair is purple right now, but I guess naturally it's brown. And I have blue Which eyes. Which means you're blonde. And my skin is definitely pink. No, yeah, that is weird, isn't it? They just gave like two types of blonde. Well, maybe I'm a brunette then. The pale brunette has a tendency towards a sallow complexion. Her skin is always pale. Her eyes are deep brown or brown black. Her hair is a deep, dark, rich brown or black. No, that's not that's me. Not that's you. you, actually. Well, I'm, a, I'm a pale brunette. You don't have a you don't have a sallow complexion. I don't know what sallow mean. Like sickly. <laughs> Mm, yeah. Uh, what's the other one? A florid um, brunette. Yeah, florid brunette. The florid brunette has a rich pink glowing skin. These are all about people with pink. I mean, this is obviously for white people only. <laughs> <laughs> but it says everyone has pink skin. So, I don't know. It's just the, the, the great how pink your skin is. <laughs> right. It's like, listen, we're all white, obviously. We all know it. It's 1943. <laughs> it's 1943. Everyone in America is white. It just depends how how pale and pink you are. Um, the florid brunette has a rich pink glowing skin, dark brown eyes, and hair that is either very dark brown or jet black, almost bluish black. See, that could be you, but you don't have black hair. You have, you have like, medium brown. Hmm. But you do have a rich florid. pink glowing skin. I do. Yeah. <laughs> don't I have like... Let's see. Um, subdued... Golden. Don't I have an olive Japanese yeah, skin? You do have a little bit. You're a little Japanese, huh? Yeah, I am a little Japanese. Oh. <laughs> um, let's see what your, what your colors are. Subdued reds are flatteringly worn by this type when it appears vulgar in all others. <laughs> maroon, maroon with a good dash of red is also desirable. Dark blue and rose pinks are in harmony. I guess that's true. You do look good in like light red, hmm. like that aged red. Uh-huh. You know, I like that color. Uh, colors to be avoided are light blue, light green, pale violet, violet pink, and all shades of purple. Uh, okay, so if I am a what did I say I was? Ruddy blonde. I guess so. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, because you'd think I was a pale brunette, but I don't have brown eyes, and that's very important apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so my colors are also green towards the darker hues. You are wearing blue, a green shirt. And I, yeah, a I'm green and blue and black blue shirt. And green. <laughs> black and white. Okay. Doesn't everyone wear black and white? The colors to be avoided are the same as the pale blonde. Violet should never be used as it has a most jarring effect on the color of the skin. I wear violet a lot. And your hair is purple. My hair is violet. Oh, well. Getting dunked on by this book. I know, right? Well, you know what? 
you're alive and the people who wrote this are probably not so right got him (laughs) (laughs) okay now (laughs) obviously like he said her a few times so he was talking about women up to this point um the question of color and clothes for men is not quite so complex men are very conservative as far as color and dress is concerned it is only within recent years that color has come to play in any part in his attire, and this is limited to his neckties and shirts. <laughs> I do have very gaudy neckties and shirts, but all my pants are tan and underwear. Coloring in men follow, in general, the same tendencies tan. as coloring in women. When considering... <laughs> tan underwear. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it looks like I'm always Winnie the Poohing it, no matter what I wear. Uh, coloring in men follow in general the same tendencies as coloring in women. When con- considering a splash in colored shirts and neckties, the same laws apply as in female preferences. Suits are not as wide in color selections as dresses and hats for women, but even in their narrow limits, wise choices may be made. Well, I was hoping for men-specific color suggestions, but I guess I guess it's the same. They're name-dropping a lot of names that I don't know. <laughs> right. Who might have been famous men Al- in the 40s. Taylor. Mr. Butterworth. Mr. Butterworth. <laughs> Ralph Bellamy, on the other hand, being tall and of lighter coloring. Uh, Buster Crab was reported in a shark skin plaid suit with blue and red stripes, white shirt with blue stripes, and red and blue tie. And you want to be like Buster Crab, don't you? Age also has a great deal to do with color choice. This ensemble would look out of place on an older man. More conservative colors are called for. Yeah, once you get old, you can't wear color once anymore. You get, once you're an old man, you do become more conservative. The man and woman are meant by God to be perfectly noble and beautiful in each other's eyes. The dress is right, which makes them so. The best dress is that which is beautiful in the eyes of the noble and wise persons. Okay. Oh, this is these are quotes by John Ruskin, who was one of the greatest of art critics, and who incidentally knew something about colors, said concerning color in dress, Man and woman are meant by God to be perfectly noble and beautiful in each other's eyes. Mm. The dress is right, which makes them so. The best dress is that which is beautiful in the eyes of the noble and wise persons. Who are the noble and wise persons? Uh, Buster Crab and uh, <laughs> Mr. Butterworth. <laughs> Right dress is therefore that which is fit for the station in life, and the work done in it, and which is otherwise graceful, becoming, lasting, healthful, and easy, on occasion splendid, always as beautiful as possible. (laughs) Beautiful dress is chiefly beautiful in color, in harmony of parts, and in mode of putting on and wearing. Rightness of mind is nothing more shown than in the mode of wearing simple dress. Ornamentation involving design, such as embroidery, etc., produced solely by industry of hand, is highly desirable in the state dresses of all classes, down to the lowest peasantry. National costume wise, I don't, I don't really. Yeah, I've I don't, heard enough of this John Ruskin fellow. It sounds like he's a little up his own right. behind, if I might say so. <laughs> the color psychology of clothes is a most fascinating study. When given the time and effort it deserves, a lot may be gained in increasing personal efficiency, mental health, emotional satisfaction, and satisfaction with life. Mm, your clothes are all that matter in life. Clothes do make the man. <laughs> Chapter 7. The Healing Effects of Colors There is as much actual hearing in colors as there is in drugs, heat, massage, and other physiotherapeutic methods. And these medicinal effects are as real and measurable as any obtained through other means. That's what <laughs> oh, they really? said. Oh, uh, really? So are you about to give us some evidence? Hmm, no. 
<laughs> it goes without saying. Uh, again, it's just kind of anecdotes. Dr. Babbitt sought to treat conditions with colors. One of his most popular inventions was the chromo disc, which was capable of giving off various colors. Different colors were recommended for the treatment like of various... Like a light bulb? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Different colors were recommended for the treatment of various ailments. Thus, a blue disc was used for inflammation, wounds, excitable heart, and hemorrhage. Oh, gosh. If you have a hemorrhage, <laughs> don't just look at some blue light. Come on. It was directed over the stomach for treatment of gastritis, the bladder, and cystitis, etc. A yellow or amber disc was highly recommended for the treatment of nervous conditions. When used over the liver, it was thought to stimulate the flow of bile. Gross. <laughs> and similarly, when concentrated on the left side of the abdomen, it was believed to overcome constipation. A purple disc was advocated as highly efficacious for the treatment of indigestion when it was concentrated over the area of the stomach. Dr. Babbitt also firmly believed that this purple light was of great value in the treatment of asthma. <laughs> well, I'm glad he firmly believed it. <laughs> Does that mean something? Dr. Babbitt meant well, but he let his enthusiasm run away with him. Wow, they're actually contradicting wow. this anecdotal evidence. <laughs> His book, which numbers some 600 pages, ooh, wow. <laughs> is more amusing than useful. He saw colors as the basis of life, of thought, and of the universe. He even founded a college in New Jersey devoted exclusively to the teaching of color therapy, which for a time had its faithful disciples. Well, it, I mean, it's... All right. Colors are now used in the treatment of various ailments, and it has been established that colors act in three different ways as a sedative, as a stimulant, and as a recuperative. And just some more anecdotal evidence of a guy curing somebody's stomach pain with light. <laughs> you take the light and you put it inside the body. <laughs> and it does a number on the stomach pain. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Mr. Donald Trump claimed <laughs> light therapy. Hmm. <laughs> okay. This one claims that they cured someone of deafness. Miss T, aged 50, her ailment was deafness. She had had a nervous breakdown five years before, and since then she noticed that she had been gradually becoming deaf. First, the left ear was affected, and shortly afterward, the right ear. Treatment consisted of a general body color bath with the open Solux lamp, followed by ultraviolet radiation all over the body for three minutes at a distance of 36 inches. That, no more, sounds, no that sounds scientific, right? <laughs> but it's not. The green filter was then applied over both ears and neck for 12 minutes at eight inches distance. Like, how did they come up? How did they dial in on these numbers? Right. Did like, they try it not, out? Not nine inches. That's not quite effective. Not enough. 11 minutes. That's not enough. <laughs> 13 minutes is too long. Right. Did they have other patients where, like, no, they, they just them? made up these numbers, okay. of course. <laughs> Uh, the same treatment was repeated two days later, and on the third treatment, another two days later, the ultraviolet dose was increased to five minutes at 30 inches, and the green dose over the ears and neck to 15 minutes at 8 inches. At the end of the treatment, the patient could hear the tuning fork clearly at two inches from both ears, and faintly from a distance of three inches. The green light dosage was gradually increased to 20 minutes at 8 inches, and at the termination of the eight treatments, the tuning fork could be heard at a distance of 9 inches from both ears, and the patient stated she could listen to the radio and hear the birds singing, something which she had been unable to do for three years. I mean, that's all very nice. But again, like, hearing, hearing something from 9 inches away is not that great of a result. I mean, I guess it's better than 
Nothing. But this is not real, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is all made up. It is. They did say it was Miss T, so we can't, like, find her. They didn't give us any any good information. And the fact that they claim she went deaf from a nervous breakdown, which means it might have just been, like, a a mental thing. Yeah. And so it was, like, a placebo? Yeah. I mean, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) I need to explain this somehow, because... It wasn't the light, was it? Well, I don't <laughs> it wasn't know. the color. We I don't know, know that. You weren't there, were you? <laughs> it could have been the light. Okay, it could have been the light. It couldn't have been the light. <laughs> no way. There's no possible way. <laughs> Chapter nine: Colors for enjoyment. Of the five special senses, hearing is the only one which has a highly developed system of sensory elements specifically designed for their enjoyment. This system of sounds is known as music, and music is a method of arousing sensory stimuli solely for the object of giving pleasure. That's like a really creepy way to describe music. Right? (laughs) This guy's a music pervert. Uh, At the present time, there are no specifically designed systems of odors, flavors, or colors which may be compared to a system of sounds known as music. Really? Isn't that what, like, like like film? Like a painting? Or, or like, a a fine meal of, like, like a a good Like a lemon lemon pecan souffle. Yeah, this is uh, questionable. Uh, There have, however, been several interesting attempts to formulate systems of these sensory impressions into something analogous to music. About 60 years ago, Dr. Dr. Septimus PSA, a French chemist, plotted a scale and assigned a well-defined odor to each note. Uh, Uh, Right? This was the first attempt to give us a system of related odors. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. PSA attempted to start a music of odors, and he used the music of sound as a basis. His system was primitive, but it was a brave beginning. I'm sure that they mean, like, pleasant odors, but just using the the word word odor odor, makes it sound like it was, like, skunk. (laughs) It was his belief that odors, just like sounds, could be made into an organized system to be enjoyed simply for themselves. That's why we're all listening to odor music today. (laughs) Get out your odor players, guys. Mm -hmm. Dr. PSA wrote many articles on his system of odors, and for a time it was quite popular. He found that there were related odors and discordant odors, and with a little thought, a really effective system of odors, analogous to a system of sounds, could be devised. He plotted a scale and assigned a well-defined odor to each note, thus starting with the bass clef, Three octaves below middle C, the musical notes and odors assigned to them are as follows. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So the bass clef, C, patchouli, D, vanilla, E, clove bark, F, benzoine, G, Frankie Payne. What are these things? Storax? I think Clem- these are... Oh, Clematis is a flower, I guess. Storax Casrorium. G. Perglu... 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 <laughs> and then the treble clef. Now this one, they have... They have two letter A's. They have two A notes right next to each other. So I don't know which A is which. Oh, yeah, they do have a two could, A's. This is like, what? <laughs> three octaves above... Or no, this is middle A, I think. Right. Is sin sinringia or tonka bean? Interesting, but there aren't uh, like uh, accidentals. There aren't. What there, do you mean? There's no E sharp. Oh. <laughs> uh, so. Right. You're only playing a straight 
scale. Yeah, you're playing a, a scale, which would sound bad. Um, <laughs> for many years, there was no means of propagating Dr. PSA's Symphony of Odors. Now, however, <laughs> Rowley and Warner have developed a machine which emits odors much in the same way as an organ mm. emits musical sounds. It's an odor player! It's an odor machine! <laughs> <laughs> is they call they call it <laughs> the the primary object the primary object of the Rolly Warner odor organ is to provide appropriate smells for talking moving pictures. <laughs> Odor organ. <laughs> this machine emits odors synchronized by the soundtrack of the film. That actually sounds great. Sounds... I want to experience this. That's what they call like 4D in, in Disneyland or whatever. Uh, in this way, there is a very effective fusion of three senses, hearing, sight, and smell, to heighten the enjoyment of the film. The Rolly Warner odor organ was recently placed on, exi- on exhibition. Rowley Warner Odor Organ, that is too much for me. That's just a mouthful. <laughs> it's a noseful. Uh, on exhibition in Westminster, England, long before Dr. PSA and Messrs. Rowley and Warner thought of establishing a system of odors to be enjoyed simply as such, attempts were made to establish an independent color art, somewhat analogous to that of music. I don't understand. Art is color. <laughs> we don't need to make up no, something. No, you have to make some bullshit with an organ and a... <laughs> I mean, in order just... for colors to attain a vogue as popular sensory art, appropriate means of propagating colors had to be devised. Not paints or film right. or pho- photography. Right. I mean, the odor organ already went with film because film is the no. <laughs> analogous. Film is analogous to music. I don't understand. Okay. A music organ is designed specifically for the purpose of manufacturing sounds in the form of music. In the same manner, a color organ is an instrument for the sole purpose of manufacturing colors as an independent art. Among the first to put the color organ into practice was Louis Bertrand Castel, a Jesuit of Montpellier who lived some 300 years ago. He invented an ocular harpsichord, which was strung with colored tapes instead of wires. It was placed in a darkened room, and when the keys were touched, the translucent tapes which correspond with them became visible. In this Mm. way, various combinations of colors were produced. I mean, that's interesting, I guess. It was A. Wallace Remington, some 50 years ago, who constructed the most advanced type of color organ. An order of colors based on the spectrum was used as the basis. Remington... Oh, his name's Remington. Remington (laughs) constructed a scale showing the relation between the seven notes of the diatonic scale in certain colors. Okay, so he's relating it to, like, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Si. Blue, purple, red, orange, yellow, green, olive. Blue, a deer, a female deer. Um. (laughs) Why are green and olive separate? (laughs) (laughs) Asking the tough questions here. Wow. Remington's color organ was as complete as a music organ and as scientifically constructed. Oh. They love science in this book. <laughs> in many respects, it was similar to a music organ. It divided the spectrum band of colors similar to a musical octave. The organ had a keyboard like that of an organ or piano, and the general control of the whole organ was by means of stops, somewhat like an organ. That's a lot of organ. I mean, it's an interesting idea. Um, I don't think I would go to a organ or color organ concert. Right. I might go and go to an odor organ concert. <laughs> I really want to I want to experience the odor organ. That sounds great. Chapter 10, Linkage of the Senses, Odors and Touch. So there's chapter 10, chapter 11 is 
similar, I guess, linkage of the senses, flavor and music. So we'll start with odors and touch, even though I feel like we just went pretty in-depth into odors. <laughs> the sense of sight is closely interwoven with the other four senses, and together with these senses serves as a means of communication between ourselves and the outer world. According to their aesthetic values, the senses are, are arranged in the following manner. Sight, hearing, smell, touch, and taste. Okay. <laughs> as if everyone agrees that sight is the best, right? <laughs> and taste is the worst. Yeah, why is taste... I don't... Okay. The degree of sensuous satisfaction is greatest through the organs of sight and decreases down the scale being least in the sense of taste. You know how, like... I disagree! How touch is the least sensuous? <laughs> Closely related to pleasing colors are pleasing odors. I just, like... It's just weird to me that they're saying... They love their odors. Odors, even in, like, positive sense. Pleasing odors. It has been suggested that a melody of flower-like scents in quick succession, accompanied by a booming chord of vintage clarets and burgundies, would be most delightful. Who suggested that? Who suggested that? And did they try it? <laughs> it seems like you could try that pretty easily. They were like, listen, this would be pretty great. Right, guys? <laughs> right? The author suggested it in this book. Right, exactly. <laughs> it will have been suggested after I write this paragraph. The use of certain perfumes, like certain colors, is prophylactic to a very high degree. Everyone knows of the refreshing and soothing feeling imparted by the citrine odors to the invalid. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> they are as stimulating as gorgeous reds and golds. Lavender water, eau de cologne, attar of roses, are among the perfumes that have been found effective in relieving headaches and resting the fatigued mind. These are as sedative as green and blue. Colors have for years been used as a means of enhancing sexual attractiveness. The fil de joy, oh, that is, the fil de joy consciously makes use of colors that are symbolic of eroticism and passion, red and similar colors. Scarlet in both dress and facial adornment has long been regarded as the badge of the woman of easy virtue. <laughs> Does that mean a, a loose woman? Yeah. <laughs> Odors also play a very important role in the sexual function. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> God, that's maybe the most disgusting uh, phrase I've ever heard. Okay. Dr. Lewis Montgomery, New York psychologist, tells of a lawyer of 52 who fell in love with his 19-year-old illiterate Swedish maid Gross. And, wanted to divorce, and wanted to divorce his wife, leave his two grown children, and marry her. Neither the lawyer nor I knew what was behind the strange infatuation, Dr. Montgomery relates. It took us six months to discover that the Swedish maid used a perfume with which the lawyer was really in love. Oh, that's what it is. He's not an <laughs> he asshole. Did. Now, this is gross. He quickly realized that it was the same perfume which a devoted nurse who attended him as a boy had used. The affair stopped dead. Oh, gross. This whole thing is gross. I don't like any of that. I don't care for it. I don't care for the beginning or the middle or the end. Yeah. Just as everything has a characteristic color, so has it also its individual smell. And those whose olfactory apparatus are keen can appreciate this. Helen Keller finds that there are as many smells as there are philosophies, and certainly as many as there are colors. I usually know what part of the city I am in by the odors, she says. Ugh. I never had time to classify my olfactory impressions of different cities, but it would be an interesting subject. I find it quite natural to think of places by their characteristic smells. Fifth Avenue, for example, has a different odor from any other part of New York. 
It may Oh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, uh, there, there are a lot of odors in New York. It may sound like a joke to say that it has an aristocratic smell. As I tread its pavements, I recognize expensive perfumes, powders, creams, choice flowers. It doesn't smell like that anymore. <laughs> no, it mostly smells like uh, they put some fish on the, on the sidewalk. Right. Because they like did. A, a week ago, yeah. <laughs> that's really, that's interesting that... Uh, the Helen Keller got around, or could could tell shit where she was through the odors. Right. It's uh, pretty neat. I mean, if you put me, if you had to ask me whether I was in the subway or not based on the odor, I could probably tell you. Right. The subways have a pretty distinctive odor. Yeah. I don't know if I could tell you I was on Fifth Ave. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So there's a doctor that traveled with Helen Keller. Um, I took a drive, he says, with Helen Keller from Forest Hills to Garden City, Long Island, about 20 miles. The windows of the car were open. It was a fresh, crisp day in winter. I asked Miss Keller if she could tell us anything about the country through which she was passing, and her, her observation was that we were making our way through open fields. This was the case. Later, as we drove through a small grove, she said we were passing trees. She then called attention to the fact that we had just passed a house with an open fire, and looking back, I saw a small cottage with smoke pouring out of the chimney. Shortly after that, she mentioned that we had just entered Garden City and were passing the plant of Doubleday Duran and Company, which actually was the case. Her awareness, she said, was due to her smelling the ink from the presses of the publishing house, with which she was very familiar. Yet, Miss Keller's olfactory sense shows nothing above the average when tested objectively. Her case demonstrates what the brain may do under the influence of concentrated attention. That's neat. That is neat. Chapter 11, Linkage of the Senses, Flavor, and Music. Linkage of the senses completes the entire cycle. Colors pervade the spheres of smelling, tactile perceptions, flavors, and hearing. Color and flavor are intimately bound up. You may recall the saying of Luther Burbank, quoted in an earlier chapter, who said that color and flavor are both necessary for good digestion. This is even more realized today than ever before. The health-giving virtues of certain spices have been known for a great many years. In spices, color and function seem to go together. The stimulating spices are always brightly colored. The reds are very strong in taste while those spices which are neutral or brown or black in color are generally sedative in their action. Yeah, you know, like black pepper, <laughs> white garlic. Makes sense. <laughs> Music is the most highly organized of all stimuli as far as establishing sounds as an independent art is concerned. Music is the enjoyment of sounds simply for themselves. Again, they're kind of touting music and sound as Maybe like this should have been a music book. Right. <laughs> right. Like they obviously think that music is the highest art. Okay, and then the book ends. They were still talking about music <laughs> for a while. Um, and then there's just one paragraph that kind of sums it up. Colors, music, tactile sensations, odors, and flavors are food for the five special senses. When these are catered to intelligently, life is more worth the living. Health and emotional efficiency is possible only when the special senses are adequately stimulated. Lately, it has been shown that such ailments as high blood pressure and certain forms of heart disease are due to emotional imbalance. The terrific pressures of modern civilization are perhaps the greatest causes of emotional imbalance. To offset these proper stimulation of the special senses will go a long way in creating and maintaining a healthful condition. And of these... Colors is among the most important. But not the most important <laughs> and not the second most important. Those were music and odors, apparently. <laughs> right. I mean, they said sight was the most important, but the book speaks otherwise. Mm -hmm. They talked about music and odors a lot. 
All right. So um, at the back of the book, there are advertisements for other books by this publisher. Um, Shorthand made easy. A quick, easy, and practical way to learn shorthand. It's only one dollar. Cloth bound. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> or or not fancy. I don't know. <laughs> How to write and sell a song. Have you an idea for a song? I do have. <laughs> Get the helpful book. So you want to write a song. <laughs> it's only a dollar. Again, 30-day free trial examination only, offer. It's only a dollar. Actually, are all of these a dollar? Pass through your change of life easily. Every woman goes through a change of life between the ages of 35 to 50. Oh, that change of life. Mm. <laughs> you undergo problems of adjustment in your health, nerves, beauty, diet, dress, interests, etc. You are losing your youth, but in its place you should gain an interesting, he healthy, and happy maturity. Young Women Past 40. By Dr. Edward Podolsky, the same author. Young Women, young women so Past 40? Oh, it's like, you know, staying oh, young. Oh, like staying young. You know, 40 is the new 80. What? <laughs> How to develop your willpower, a complete course in the development of willpower. This is also a dollar. So I can only assume that this book must have been a dollar. Because it yeah, was, I it feel was... like I got my money's worth. Yeah, for sure. $1943, though. We might have to Google this one. We gotta Google it. Inflation calculator. So in 1943... <laughs> I purchased an item for a dollar. That same item in 2020 would cost $14.82. Well, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> That's a normal book price, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but... But this is a pretty small book. It's a small book, and I feel like you could have really trimmed the fat. Right. <laughs> there's a lot of junk in there. Also, on the last ad page, uh, there's just a list of numbers. Again, this is like a spooky it's criminal really spooky, uh, thing that we're like going to have to solve. Yeah, like an Illuminati thing. 27, 32, 33, 34. It goes all the way down to like 72. 73 and 74 are circled. So those are important. And then 98. 90. 96. 90? 90? Something is at the bottom, so... Maybe those are page numbers. If you numbers. can help us solve that mystery... Maybe I solved it. Did I solve it? Are those page numbers? Oh, you might like, be right. Where the person is... Because some of the pages had uh, some, like, penciling. Yeah, I mean, 73 and 75 are not notable, but, yeah, you might be right about that. Um... Speaking of solving mysteries, we solved the mystery of what B5S16 we did? is. Well, sort of. So on the back of this book, on the back inside cover, is one of those old-timey library um, cards. You know, like where you used to have to fill out um, your name and like they would stamp when it was due. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like one of those cards in we a little in, my school. in a little tiny envelope, and it's so cute. And it says, um, again, stamped with Chapel of Sunlight. They want you to know. Mm -hmm. B5S16, pulled Podolsky Edward, How to Charm with Color. This card has never been stamped. No one's <laughs> ever borrowed this book. No one ever borrowed this book. Oh, I'm sad. I'll borrow it. <laughs> we can stamp our names in there. Yeah. What's the date due? When should it be due? Uh, let's set it for like a hundred years. <laughs> okay. Just so we're sure we're not. <laughs> right. We want some time to absorb mm -hmm. the information. Might have to read through it a few thousand times. <laughs> okay. How to charm with color. Did we learn how to charm with color? I learned, um, 
that red is good and purple <laughs> is good and also bad. <laughs> and and blue is okay, but also can be upsetting. And it does not go with pale blondes or something. <laughs> and there there are four types of people. Pale blondes. Pale ruddy, brunette. Ruddy blondes. Ruddy, ruddy blonde. Pale brunette. Frivolous. Flor- florid? Florid. Florid, florid brunette. Um, and everyone's white, turns out. Everyone's white. 1943 is a great time to be alive if you're white. <laughs> but only if you're white. And exclusively if you're white. So there was, we learned that uh, that you can make an organ that emits odors, which is right. pretty fun. And that was a surprise information for a color book. Yeah, considering <laughs> that the book was supposed to be about color and what color can do for you, they really went into great detail on what music and odors Right. And touch and, yeah. can do for you as well. Which, I mean, but I enjoyed that's it. well-rounded. I enjoyed it. And the best part is that color can cure all your ailments. All of them. Um, if you have one of those color lights. Up to and including deafness. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it was super entertaining, though. I, I really enjoyed this one. Not as racist as I would have thought. Right. There was really only maybe like two racist parts. <laughs> the one where they were talking about colors with Chinese people. And then the fact that they just said there was only white people. Everyone's skin is pink, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some form of pink. Some form of pink. Uh, and you vomit if you eat food when, when, it's uh, the wrong color. when it's the wrong color. Yeah. Pretty interesting. And it can make for a great dinner party. <laughs> a great prank for your friends. <laughs> so, would you recommend this book? Um, I think I would. It was... Uh, to whomst it was it was a quick read um and very little evidence but interesting theories to think about (laughs) (laughs) i would recommend it to anyone just like the internet that's like the modern internet i would recommend it to anyone who doesn't value science all that much and likes colors that's a good that i mean that nails it that nails the audience right it's pretty, pretty much everyone right That was How to Charm with Color. Thank you for joining us again. And we hope that you'll tune back in for our next episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.